was a cartoon meme that went around the internet a while back that had one man standing in front of a big six on the ground saying that that is the number six. And on the other side of the six, another man was standing saying, no, that's nine. Now, from both of the perspectives, they appeared to be correct. And it was used to subtly argue that this that truth is relative and truth can change depending on point of view and experience. Couldn't it be both a six and nine at the same time? Now, of course, this analogy breaks down because while they can have different perspectives, there is only one truth about the number that was on the ground. And that's determined by the creator, the one who originally drew it on the ground. Did he create it to be a six or a nine? And we can argue all day, but only when you know its original design and purpose can we understand truth. And now when it comes to predestination and free will, I think a lot of Christians are like those two men. Each side can look at God's word with a very different perspective and come away with very different opinions. And people get so mad over this debate and churches split because there's no way the other side could be right. But could I be so bold to submit that perhaps in some unimaginably mysterious way, God operates in a space where both can be true? Because it's clear from Scripture that humans have free will to choose and have responsibility for our choices and actions. And yet, at the same time, it's also clear from Scripture that God foreknows the future and at times even acts in a way to shape or change the future in His predestined will. And 1 Peter 1.20 is one of those moments where the Bible is clear. God foreknows and has predestined. And so let's read. He was foreknown. Okay, so who is this talking about? Let's go back two verses to fill in the context. In verse 18, it says, You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He, so he's talking about Christ. Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And so with those verses in mind, let me give you a good rule of thumb for approaching the Bible. There are some things about God that we'll never fully understand. The Bible tells us this in Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So did you catch the difference between a revealed thing and a secret thing there? It's our responsibility. We are to believe and obey what is revealed, not to figure out all that is hidden inside of Scripture. The secret things belong to the Lord. And this shouldn't surprise us that there are some things about God that our minds can scarcely fathom. I mean, imagine trying to explain quantum physics to a three-year-old. Okay, now imagine someone trying to explain it to you. Just because you can't explain it fully doesn't mean it's not true. And what's greater, the gap between a four-year-old's understanding and ours, or the gap between our understanding and God's? 
And so we need to approach a verse like this one, understanding that we are delving into realities that our minds can barely grasp. J.D. Greer gives a good analogy on the depth of Scripture. He says, sometimes when we read passages like this, we think, wow, this is really deep. But when we say that, we're like the 10-year-old boy who runs out into the ocean and goes like 20 yards out where his feet you know, can't touch anymore. And he's like, oh, this is so deep. And he's in seven feet of water. And he feels like it's really deep. But if he would, he would just go a little more way out, and all of a sudden, the depth of the ocean can go several miles deep. And, you know, this is one reason why this episode has taken a little more time to get done because I don't fully understand the foreknowledge of God. And so it's kind of like me trying to teach about the intricacies of the ocean depths while we wade on the surface. I've never been there. I haven't seen them before. And so I only have a vague idea of what it's like. And so let's wade together. Let's keep in mind our subject, Christ not understanding all the ins and outs of what this verse means. That's not the goal. And the way I read 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21, I see four revealed truths about Christ. And so let's go after those. These are the, the deep ocean of Scripture, and so we're going to wade slowly through them and look at just one per episode over the next four episodes. And so the first truth about Jesus from these verses He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. In both English and Greek, the word foreknowledge is made up of two smaller words, knowledge and before. And so in its most basic form, the word foreknowledge means to know something before it happens. Dr. Steve Lawson puts God's foreknowledge in this way. God has never looked into the future and learned anything. And so in the context of this verse which is Christ's precious blood shed as the sacrificial lamb for us, this would mean that before God created the world, in his foreknowledge, he saw his creation sin. He saw them attempt to be forgiven and get back in right relationship with God, but being unable to, before the foundation of time, God knew he would send his only son to be that sacrifice giving up his life for us. Let that sink in for a moment. John 1 makes it clear that Jesus existed with God in the beginning, before all of creation. And so before Genesis 1.27 happened, where God created humans in his image, God saw you and God saw me. Psalm 139.16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book, were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Even before we were created, before the foundation of time itself, God knew you and me. He knew the victories and the failures of our life. He knew that we would need to be saved. He knew that Jesus was the only way for that to happen. And Jesus, being God, must have known this as, as well. As God, he was and is omniscient. So he created us knowing that he would one day lay down his life for us. Acts 2.23 says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. 
Christ is a definite plan and has been since before time began. There is no plan B for salvation. Christ is it. And so putting our hope in any other thing is going to end in disappointment. And we can know this because since God is sovereign, his foreknowledge is perfect. We have a certain sense of foreknowledge. For instance, I know the sun is going to rise tomorrow, and I know that because of past experience. It's always happened before, so it's probably going to happen tomorrow. Or you might say, it's warm today, but I know that it's going to be cold in January. But God's foreknowledge is entirely different. God's foreknowledge is his divine ability to know what is going to happen before it happens because he intends to make it happen. God's foreknowledge doesn't simply mean that he knows by looking down over the timeline of history what's going to happen because he's God and he can see it all before it happens. That's true, but it doesn't go far enough in this instance. God knew Christ would be our sacrificial savior because he is sovereign over all the earth, because he reigns over all creation. He knew that is what would be because he either directly causes it through aligning circumstances or he simply gave it permission to happen. Every event in the universe falls under one of those two categories, directly caused by God or divinely permitted by God. Nothing happens that doesn't first pass through the hands of God. Isaiah 46.10 says, Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. John Calvin puts it this way, All things always were and perpetually remain under God's eyes, so that to his knowledge there is nothing future or past, but all things are present. Now, this can lead us down a big theological rabbit hole of why would God allow or permit evil things, you know, like the terror in Afghanistan that's going on right now? Or how could God be so callous to allow that evil thing that happened in my life? And this is where... The mysterious dance between free will and God's foreknowledge comes together. Because of the fall, all of creation is stained and tainted by sin, and God allows it to be. He's grieved by it, and it's not what he intends for our world to be like. It's not what his kingdom in heaven is going to be like forever, but he allows it temporarily here on earth. But we know, because he is sovereign, Romans tells us that he can work all things out for good for those who love him and are called by him. So remember, just go after the revealed things and don't get bogged down in the secret things. Those belong to God. And remember our subject, Jesus Christ. So I'm sure that this did not clear anything up and we probably walk away from this with a theological brain freeze, but maybe... That's the point. If it elevates the glory of God and helps us come to the conclusion that God is greater and more magnificent than we can imagine, then maybe it's done its job. And so next time, in the second truth about Christ, we're going to see where the foreknowledge of God intersects with his predestination. 
So that will be another interesting one. And so thanks for joining in with me as we dig through this book. It's a lot of fun knowing that we're doing this together. And so until next time, let's pray. God, help us to treasure the revealed things in Scripture and believe them with everything we have. Help us to marvel at the secret things of Scripture that are too lofty for us to wrap our mind around and help us to believe them with just as much strength. We thank you for your loving foreknowledge that would plan such a sacrifice out for us. And I pray that today we honor you and live a life that, even in just a tiny way, would be worthy of all you have done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.